Our scripture for today is Matthew 2, verses 13 through 23. Now when they had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child and to destroy him. So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother while it was still night and left Egypt. He remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged and sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its vicinity from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the Magi. Then what had been spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted, because they were no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Then after being warned by God in a dream, he left for the regions of Galilee and came and lived in a city called Nazareth. This was to fill what was spoken through the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. One of, one of the biggest barriers or the main barriers that, that keeps people from coming to faith in the God of the Bible, believing the Bible, is the reality of human suffering. The Bible clearly describes um, its God as a God who is sovereign, which means he's in control of all things at all times. The Bible also describes its God as a, as a God who not only is loving or treats people with love, but who is, in fact, love. It's his very nature. But we all know that we all suffer. And, and what hangs people up is that supposedly, they say, we, we have this God who's in control of everything, which means he could keep stuff from happening, bad stuff from happening to me and those I love. And he's loving, which means he should want to keep that bad stuff from happening to me and those he love, but he doesn't. And so for many people, they think there must be some sort of gap or a shortfall somewhere in the equation. Either God's not in control or he's not actively involved in human events like he just wound this place up and let it go and now his hands are off or God just doesn't care enough he he doesn't love people because it's just too it's, it's it's sort of a bridge too far for many people to, to believe that God is in control and loves people and would allow. What we all know happens. Like, you, 
we don't have to go to the scripture for me to convince you that, that suffering happens, right? The, uh, and we know not only does it happen, there doesn't seem to be much in the way of a pattern or correlation or rhyme or reason. It doesn't, it's not like the better people suffer less, the, the more wicked people suffer more. That's just not true. That's why, to me, the, the, the doctrine, the idea of karma just makes no sense. It just doesn't work that way. It's, it's not that the worst people suffer the most. Sometimes it seems like the worst people have it the best. And sometimes the best people have it the worst. So if God's really in control and he really loves people, why, why would he let painful stuff go on. There's several good biblical answers to that. There are logical answers to that. And and my purpose this morning won't be to go through all of those things and explain that. But I'll mention um, first, God allows suffering because that's how he shapes us into what he wants us to be. be. Um, God uses suffering. This comes from, from Peter. God God uses suffering to show us the value of what he's given us, that our faith in Christ is is far more valuable than anything that could ever be taken away from us that makes us suffer. Peter says he, he allows that to show us the value of our faith, our eternity. Uh, suffering gives us the opportunity to shine the light of Christ in our darkest places. The gospel has always spread best, seemingly on a large scale at least, through persecution and suffering. Um, and, and Paul tells us, 2 Corinthians, that, that God allows us to suffer because then we know what feels good while we're suffering. We know what comfort feels like. So then when we see someone else suffering, we can give them the comfort with which we were comforted in ours. But, and, and inside of suffering, um, anytime... I'm in a trial or, or suffering. I always want to keep, keep this in mind. I have to leave room in my thoughts um, for what has to be the reality that God has reasons I can't understand. And, and this just makes logical sense. Follow me here. If God is all-knowing, omniscient, right? If God is all-knowing and you and I, we're just like barely a little bit knowing, right? Just a tiny bit knowing. So that means God knows way more things than you and I know. No arguments there, right? Well, in that infinite amount of stuff that God knows that we don't know, sometimes there's reasons he has for things that he allows that he knows, and they make perfect sense, and they're logical. We just don't know them because he's all-knowing. And we're just a teeny bit knowing. I always want to remember when, when I just don't understand what God is thinking or what he's up to. I always want to try to remember and I would encourage you to try and remember. Just because I can't think of a good reason for this doesn't mean there's not a good reason for this. It just means I don't know it. Well, this morning, this passage doesn't really work through all of the reasons God, a sovereign God might allow suffering. But it's a really 
good example of, a, of one story in the scriptures that shows us God's sovereignty, God's love, and human suffering all existing together. Right, so it, this may not explain every doubt or reason we have that God would, would work like this, but if, if the idea, like God can't work like that, there's no way I could never believe in a God who would let people suffer, in this case, let babies be killed. I could never believe in a God, I could never believe he's good and he's sovereign, if he would allow that, he just can't work that way. Well, the God of the Bible works that way. And we're going to see that in this passage. And along the way, I'll give us some ideas about why that may be. That maybe you and I can apply to our lives and maybe approach our next trial, our next bit of suffering a little bit differently. We're going to learn three things today, and I like to call them three things because I'm creative like that. Here's our three main things we're going to learn today. First, suffering is not proof that God is not sovereign, that he's not involved in human affairs. Suffering is just a part of human existence. That's the first main thing. Uh, Second, we're going to see because he was human, Jesus suffered also. And third, um, and this is the good one, Jesus' kingdom outlasts all enemies, including suffering. Those will be back on the screen later on if you didn't get all those down. Don't worry about it. We will. We'll get there. All right. We're going to start with the first of our three main things, which is this suffering just cannot be proof that God's not in control, that God's not sovereign, that God's not, God's not involved. It's just that suffering in a fallen world is universal. Here's how I see that in this passage that Jason read for us. Even if you don't believe the Bible, no one could read this story and think, well, that's a story about a God who's not involved in the events of of human history. Like he's hands off. No one could think that. God is extremely involved in the events that make up this story. Okay? God knows ahead of time what King Herod is planning. He's planning to to try and murder the child, Jesus. God knows that ahead of time. God supernaturally intervenes. He sends an angel to tell Joseph, you got to get up. You got to get out of here. God knows ahead of time where a safe place to go would be. Go to Egypt. Then God knows when it's safe to return. And then God intervenes again and says, no, don't return back to where you were. Go out into Galilee. Nazareth. So God is is super involved in this passage. God's been super involved every step of the way so far in the book of Matthew. Right? Matthew, this book is about Matthew telling us Jesus is the king, the long-awaited Messiah, the Christ. And God has been super hands-on and intentional directing events to bring about the birth of the Christ in the right place at the right time. 
right? Super involved. He, uh, you know, angelic announcements even before today. And he, and he got some, uh, some pagan wise men to come and be the first people to sort of get who Jesus was so that Matthew can tell us this king is not just for Israel. He's for all of us. So God's very hands-on, right? But all of a sudden in this story, he intervenes to tell Joseph, uh, sorry to wake you up, pal, but you got to get out of here because they're going to kill him. Like King Herod wants to kill the Christ child. So don't wait till morning. Get up and get out of here. And, and there's incredible suffering in this story. First is just the suffering in Mary and Joseph, just the psychological terror that had to be involved in this. I have never been told there's a king, you know, with plenty of uh, agents who, who want to kill your child. How well do you sleep over however long this lasted? How, how much time did they spend looking over their shoulder? When are they back there? Is it now? How many times did they wake up with a start saying, did you hear that? Uh, there's the, you know, just being displaced, kicked away from, it's like a little mini refugee crisis right here in, in Matthew 2. And it's not just them by any means. King Herod uh, was so, he mentioned last week, was, he's so paranoid that someone was going to take away his power, his position, that when these magi, these respected men from the east showed up and said, hey, there's somebody who's born with a right to your job. He decided, well, I would like to kill that one who was born with my job. See how well he reigns when he's dead. Um, which, by the way, Jesus will, never mind. That's a story for a different time. But, um, so Herod, he tells the magi, the wise men, you go find this guy in Bethlehem, this baby, you come back, tell me where it is because he wants to kill him. The Magi don't do that. They go home. Herod gets really, really mad and decides, okay then, I'll kill all the babies in Bethlehem. Uh, now this isn't mass extermination. Bethlehem is a very is a small place. Scholars w- would estimate this is between five on the low end, 20 would be a, you know, a high end. This isn't the Holocaust. But listen, I don't have to like, describe the kind of pain that would be involved here. So we see a God who's very much involved and who has been directing events supernaturally, allowing great suffering. And no one in this story could have understood and answered the question, like, why would God do this? I don't think Joseph is leading the donkey along going, oh, Mary, just calm. Let me explain what God's up to here. But Matthew tells us, we, in this picture, we get to look back and see what God was up to. Why God allowed this suffering. And it has to do with God was directing all of the events that that led to this birth of this child. Because God had promised throughout the Old Testament to bring the Christ. And there were going to be certain things that were true about him. And God will keep his word. And so... Matthew doesn't explain this to us, but he doesn't have to with first century Jews, his main audience. First century Jews expected the Messiah to be like Moses 2.0, the, the new Moses, a prophet like Moses, 
like a bigger, better Moses. And if we read back through that story and pick out the similarities between the child Jesus and, and Moses, it's pretty striking. If you know the story of Moses, Moses also, when he was a baby, there was a powerful king who decided to kill all the babies where Moses lived. You remember that story? God intervened. Moses was miraculously saved, put in the basket, right? Pushed out in the river and saved and, and, and grew up right under that same king's nose. Well, here, Moses 2.0, Jesus also gets saved from a king who wants to kill all the babies in that area. Uh, Matthew just says, he uses Hosea's words to, to draw our attention to this. Out of Egypt I've called my son. God uses all of these events to lead Joseph and Mary to take the child Jesus to place they never would have taken him to demonstrate to Israel this is the new Moses. Just, how Mo, just like how Moses led the nation of, of Israel out of Egypt to start the, what we call the old covenant, the law. God says, I'm, I'm bringing my, the true Israel, my, my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased out of Egypt to start a greater covenant, the new covenant between me and anyone who will believe in him. So God is directing all these events uh, to keep his promises, even though nobody could know what he's doing. And, and even though the people within, the characters, the people in the story are going to be personally responsible for their level of obedience. Just because God's in control doesn't mean they're not responsible for what they do. Herod was held to an account for this horribly wicked plan to exterminate babies. And Joseph was, respond, was, was responsible to respond in obedience and take the family out of there. You know, throughout the scriptures, the Bible is full of suffering. It's full of suffering. And, and it's just an expected part of the human experience in a fallen world. How widespread is it? Paul says in Romans 8 that all of creation groans and suffers together. All. Now, some people seem like they suffer this much and some people seem like they suffer this much. But all of creation groans and suffers together. And I mentioned that there's really no correlation between good folks and bad folks and who suffers more and who suffers less. Good example of that, Hebrews chapter 11 is often called the, the hall of faith or the hall of fame of faith. You don't have to turn there, but what it is, is the author of Hebrews goes through a list of the giants of the Old Testament and just says, by faith, let me tell you what Abraham did. By faith, let me tell you what Sarah did. By faith, let me tell you what all these people did and their great accomplishments that they were able to accomplish simply by faith. But because the author of Hebrews was writing to a group of people who were stuck on what we're talking about today, why are we suffering if God loves us and he's in control? Because that's who he was writing to. He didn't want them to get the wrong idea. He wanted to say, listen, your faith can overcome even this terrible obstacle that you're feeling. But God may not step in and save the day. The end of Hebrews 11, he said, there were other people. Some people, by faith, were extremely successful by anyone's measure. 
But there were other people, the end of Hebrews chapter 11, who were tortured. Verse 36, others experienced mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawed apart, cut in half. They were murdered with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins. That's my favorite part because at us it looks like some people were ripped in half. They were stoned to death. Some people had to wear itchy clothes. It was terrible. That's not what that means, but I'll explain it a different time. They were destitute. They were afflicted. They were ill-treated. Verse 38 says, the world was not worthy of these people. And in verse 39, he says, they were commended for their faith. Some people were faithful and they stepped out by faith and God did impressive, wonderful things. Some people were faithful and they stepped out by faith and someone cut them in half. One guy was faithful when he went into the lion's den. And God shut the mouths of those lions. Other Christians, the Romans threw them in the Colosseum and the lions actually ate them. Suffering is, is universal. And sometimes in his sovereignty, God decides to step in and save the day from that specific situation. Sometimes he doesn't. And it's never proof that God isn't in control or isn't caring. And we can't, we can't believe that and believe this story that we're reading today. Because if anything is happening in Matthew chapter 3, God's in control. He's directing events. He loves the people involved. And he's allowing suffering. And he's doing it to bring about his ancient promises in the life of Christ. So that people like us believe. Now point two. Suffering is so universal for humans in a fallen world that even the one human who himself had never sinned and was not fallen suffered. Jesus suffered because he was human. And listen, before I'm going to stop your brain, some of you are like, my brain ain't been working for a long time anyway. But when I start talking about the sufferings of Christ, I'm guessing automatically you go to Good Friday and the cross, and we probably should. But at least in one sense, at the cross, Jesus didn't suffer because of his humanity. At the cross, Jesus suffered because of our humanity, right? He was getting there what we deserved. But throughout the rest of his life, Jesus suffered. Jesus was in trials, not because he had sinned, just because he was human. We see it from the very beginnings. And today, as a baby, he probably didn't understand what was going on. He was on the run for his life. He would be hunted throughout his life. People never stopped trying to kill him. Uh, There's one time where they they bring him out of synagogue and they want to push him over this ledge and kill him. He just kind of slips away. Several times they pick up rocks to stone him to death and and he gets away. And he was gossiped about. He was said, had things said about him that weren't true. Uh, people tried to get at his friends, compromise his friends. Sometimes that worked. He was abandoned. He was betrayed. He was hated. He was hunted. He was rejected. I've said this many, I've said this many times and, and I want to keep saying it because this is such a big hang up for us. But listen, 
I'm talking about the first time Jesus came now. Jesus did not come into this world to end human suffering. Jesus came into this world to experience human suffering. To be fully human. To bear the weight of the fall. And Jesus experienced suffering, regular human suffering, and then the full weight of all human and divine punishment and suffering. So that when you and I struggle, when we go toward the Lord in our suffering, we have someone who understands, who knows what we are going through. You say, I have been there. Do you know you can't experience a negative human emotion that Jesus is not intimately acquainted with. Think about that. Bring one up. Ask me about it later. And if you can't figure it out, I'll show you how any any negative human emotion, he can say, I know what that feels like. The author of Hebrews put it this way. "We, We don't have in Christ a high priest who's incapable of sympathizing with our weaknesses. Instead, we have one who is tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. And here's the result of that. Therefore, let us confidently approach the throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace when? When we need help, where do we go? Toward the Lord. Listen, even Jesus was not saved from all suffering. Jesus was saved through all suffering. That's the best we should hope for. Not that we should hold God responsible for keeping me from suffering, but that God would see me through the suffering that he allows. That's the best Jesus got. And I think that's part of Matthew's message here. There's a big part of God saying, I've been here and I've done this before. You see all this suffering? Weeping mothers from children ripped out of their arms. It's like God is saying, I've been here and I've done this. There's this obscure little quote um, from Jeremiah about Rachel weeping for her children. I'll try to keep this story short. I won't tell you the whole story, but when Jeremiah wrote that, the Rachel that he mentions had been dead for eons. Okay, for a long, Rachel was one of the wives of, uh, of, of Israel, Jacob, one of the mothers of the sons of Israel. She only had two sons. She thought she'd lost them, and she got really sad. And so she's a picture of mourning and sadness. When Jeremiah wrote that, here's what Jeremiah was saying. Oh, if you listen, you hear that? It's like I can still hear Rachel crying. That was when the Babylonians were going to come in and destroy the place and take everybody back to Babylon except for the ones they exterminated. And it was Jeremiah saying, you know how sad Rachel was? That's how we're all going to be. And here in Matthew, Matthew says, hey, remember how sad Rachel was and how sad Jeremiah thought people were going to be? We're still there. We're still there. Even though the Christ is on the scene, he was feeling it too. And I think because God has been there so many times before, he saw Israel faithfully through, and he preserved a remnant. He, thought he saw uh, Jesus through and preserved him for us. 
we're supposed to have confidence that he will see us through as well. This is a dark passage. I mean, there's not very many passages about baby killing, right? Um, Here's the encouragement. This is an encouraging passage. It tells you your suffering is normal. And I don't mean it's normal in that, oh, this is what happens every day. It's just, it's normative. It's part of being human. It's not because God hates you. Did he hate Jesus? No. It's not because God is angry at you or punishing you. It's because you are human and this world is fallen. Which brings me to my last point and my favorite one. And that is that Jesus is the king who outlasts all suffering. He defeats all enemies. Now, this one is why you should want to follow Jesus, to be in his kingdom, even when it's scary. Because he's the one who always wins. Always. Here's how I see this in this passage. Matthew is hinting at this at the very beginning of Jesus' life. I want you to notice one thing, the one thing that's repeated three times in this passage. It starts in verse 15. How long did Joseph keep his family in Egypt? Until what happened? Until Herod died. Fast forward to verse 19. We read, after Herod had died, an angel showed up in Egypt, said, Joseph, get going, go back home. Those who are seeking the child's life are what? Are dead. Here's here's the good news in this passage. After all the plotting, the scheming, the murdering, the threats, all those people are dead by the end of the passage, and Jesus is still alive. Now, that's a theme that will continue. I mention all the times throughout the Gospels, people try to get at Jesus. They try to push him off a ledge. They pick up rocks to stone him. He slips away. He sneaks away. They can't get his hands on him until, spoiler alert, don't want to give away the end of the book, but the end, they do get Jesus. They torture him terribly and they kill him. And Jesus even outlasts his enemies then. Because at first, God won't let him catch Jesus like here. Then after they catch Jesus, God won't let Jesus stay dead. Okay? Even when it looks like he loses, that's his greatest victory. Now, this is why you should have a desire to follow Jesus, even though it seems like other things could be easier and more beneficial to you. Because Jesus promises that those who are in his kingdom will share in his victory. So before we sang this morning, I asked you to think about what you are afraid of, what your trial is, what your, um, you know, what your fear is, what your suffering is. What is that? What's chasing you? What's eating you? Is it an illness, a past illness, the fear of an illness? Is it financial troubles, relationship problems? Whatever it is, I want you to hear this this morning. Whatever that thing is, if you believe on Jesus for your salvation, if you're a part of his kingdom, that thing that makes you suffer, 
one day that thing is going to die and you are still going to be alive. Absolutely guaranteed. Jesus is the king who outlasts them all. That illness you're either scared about or suffering through is going to die. I can't promise you it's going to die on this side of the grave. But it's going to die and you will still be alive if you're in the king's kingdom. Your financial troubles that keep you awake at night make you so nervous. They are going to die. And you are going to have more than you could have ever imagined if you are in the king's kingdom. Your loneliness will be dead. Your relationship problems will be dead. Your family problems will be dead. And you will still be alive. We will outlast them all if we are in the king's kingdom. That's why we follow Jesus when it's scary. And we're going to see Jesus invite people to follow him like this throughout the book. He goes and he's in a few chapters. He's going to go find the first disciples. Say, hey, why don't you come follow me? And they had to be scared at first. I can't leave dad's fishing business. What would dad say? Another one, the guy who wrote the book, he's going to say, I want you to leave your tax collecting career. I can't leave my tax collecting. What will the Romans say? Um, one time they're going to be on a boat and this terrible storm is going to come up and threaten to kill them all and Jesus is going to be asleep. And they're like, Jesus, we're really scared. He's going to wake up and say, what's wrong with you? I outlast storms like this. It can't get at me. He's going to tell that storm, hey, why don't you shut up? It's pretty close to the Greek, actually. There's going to be one woman who says, Jesus, my daughter died. And just for this one person in this book, just for this one person so that we all know, he's going to say, listen, I'm bigger than death. Do the Bible says even one day, even death's going to die. He's going to raise this woman's daughter back to life just to prove Even that is no match for me. So, how do we approach our next period of suffering given what we We can't let it chip away at our belief in a God who's sovereign and a God who cares. But what do we do? I want to tell you how to approach your next period of suffering based on this passage today. I put it on the screen here. I think it's just called number one. It said help a brother out there. I can, there we go. I got it. All right, here's, here's your mindset. And my mindset, next time we face a trial, a struggle, and it's painful, and it's hurt, it hurts, and I don't understand, here's my mindset. So, this is the latest thing I will outlast in the end. So this is the latest awful, terrible, painful thing that will not defeat me in the end. How many of you are tempted when life gets hard to feel like this is your ultimate undoing? This is the worst thing that could ever happen. I'm never going to recover from this. Oh boy, right? Here's my mindset. This thing, because of Christ, I will outlast. How else do I approach trials, 
suffering. Well, I remember so that I anticipate a little bit what's coming. If God allowed suffering to touch his perfect son, Jesus, we probably ought to expect God won't insulate us from suffering like Willie. We probably should get off the, I don't deserve this train. Not because, oh yes, you do deserve it, which may or may not be true. Just because that's not a real train. Like there's no correlation between bad people getting suffering and good people getting it. It's just universal. Also, along those lines, if God wouldn't step in and snuff out Herod's plan for killing babies, would you all agree that's a pretty bad plan? God didn't like that plan. That was an evil plan. God would... God in his sovereignty decided, I'm not going to step in and snuff that out. If that is true, he's probably not going to keep the people around you from being idiots. So don't be so shocked when the people around you are idiots. Okay? I think something that would be really healthy is if we stop being just flabbergasted when we don't get our way. Right? Jesus, they're constantly talking bad about Jesus. They run his house, the temple. There's only one time where he goes in and does something about it. Right? The rest of the time, he doesn't go to the Sanhedrin meetings and try to get them to change their mind. He shines the light of God in dark places. We always remember, third, that God can have reasons for allowing suffering that I will never understand. And then finally, I I worded this 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 way. Uh, God can use our suffering in our lives if we allow him. I'm going to say this probably over and over throughout Matthew. God doesn't force people. He invites people. Right? Right? God invites us to allow him to use our suffering to shape us into what we want. We tend, when we suffer, we want to shape others to suit us, right? I'm suffering, you're causing it, let me tell you how you're about to change or you're going to get it. Billy Graham used to tell this story. I love this story. Billy Graham's words. I have a friend who during the depression lost his job, a fortune, a wife, and a home. But he tried to hold on to his faith, mainly because it's all he had left. One day, while he was looking for a job, he stopped to watch some men doing stonework on a huge church. One of them was chiseling a triangle piece of stone. My friend asked, what are you going to do with that? The workman said, You see that little opening way up there near the spire? Well, I'm shaping this down here so so it will fit when we get it where we want it. And Billy Graham says, Tears filled the eyes of my friend as he walked away. For it seemed that God had spoken through the workman to explain his ordeal through which he was passing. I'm shaping you down there so you will fit better where I put you. 
Do we spend more mental energy trying to shape our world to fit our shape? Or do you think we should spend more of our mental energy seeing how the Lord would shape us to put us where he wants us? Like maybe it's Egypt on the run. Won't you pray with me? Father God, thank you for creating a kingdom that would allow the likes of us in, even though we are sinful. God, as we more and more desire to follow the king, we know ahead of time suffering and trial will, will touch us. If you allowed it to touch Jesus and Joseph and Mary, you will allow it to touch us. We don't desire it, but we know this place is broken. And so God, the next time you lead me into a trial, into the forge, I know you shape more in the forge, in the fire, than you do on the beach. God, help me to have a mindset that says, all right, this is the latest thing I will outlast in the end because I'm an eternal being saved by the king. And then God, give me the faith to allow you to shape me through bad circumstances rather than spending all of my energy shaping my circumstances to make their edges less sharp. God, be glorified in us as we follow the King. And Father, now as the guys come forward to help uh, with the communion process, I'm reminded that you brought your son out of Egypt to, to establish a new covenant, a greater covenant. A covenant that was no longer based on you be good and then we'll be okay. But a covenant that was based on my son was good. So you can be okay. God, thank you for the example of the one who faithfully walked through the, the, through the worst trial. He is our example. He is our Lord. And as the guys bring the, the bread around this morning, I just pray you would commune with us as we remember the one who walked faithfully through the fiercest trials. In Jesus' name, amen.